if it is to be said, so it be, so it is. This is Even Star Waco, a special series by my brother, my captain, my podcast. Normally, our adventures have us journeying across Middle-earth, but here we travel to the gilded halls of Logan Roy as we discuss the final season of Succession. I'm Manu, also known as Manuclear Bob. And I'm Emily, also known as J.R.R. Tweeting. Today's episode is America Decides, the eighth episode of Succession's final season. And we will be spoiling all of Succession, so please be warned. <laughs> all right, so <laughs> here's my question for you. If you were um, telling your partner that you were pregnant, and your, I should say, ex-partner that, that you were pregnant, what would be the worst possible thing they could say to you in that moment? Is that even true? I think I think that qualifies. <laughs> um, pretty much exactly what Tom says. Man, I was thinking about this because obviously everything that's happening between them is just utter shit. But I was just thinking this is taking place one day after the tailgate party of last week. Mm-hmm. And in that, uh, Shiv was gladly using Tom's like flimsy employment status like as like a joke and a party runner and when you know she he's like why are you joking with everyone about like me losing my job and she's like oh it's just a play so like part of it is like i kind of get tom's incredulity at this because it doesn't really seem like shiv has any boundaries on what is a play and what isn't um if this was like to any other normal people in any other television show like tom would be like so out of line here but it almost feels like yeah, I'd have that same reaction too if it was if I was time and that was Shiv. But man, just like my skin was crawling for that entire conversation. I think it's just like it's one of the strengths of this show. It, this sounds kind of stupid. Maybe it is kind of stupid, but I think one of the strengths of the show is that it really knows its characters and it really knows, like, it is very it is so clearly driven by what its characters would do in a given situation rather than sort of artificial kind of plot beats. Um, and, and, and every so often there are conversations between characters that just like horrifyingly summarize who those characters are and Shiv kind of doing the insane person thing of dropping the fact that she's pregnant as a way of being like, I cannot be held accountable for any of my actions, which was in itself the funniest shit I've ever seen on TV. <laughs> and then Tom reacting in in a way that is like simultaneously through its like kind of clod hopper-ishness, like very Tom. It's it's like to to say the wrong thing at that moment is is like what Tom would have always done through all four of these seasons. But but it's also Tom who's kind of in a position of power now and and probably starting to realize it as well, because even though it's like not the tactful thing to have said, it's the one thing he could have said to really prove to Shiv that like she does not have the power here anymore. And and it's just this like it was just I mean, literally a breathtaking conversation because that was one of the worst things I've ever heard anyone say to anyone on TV before. But also breathtaking in in just like how well crafted it was and 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 i think like that is such a it's such a it's such a kind of again i feel like i do this every time we talk about the show but it's such a good summary of the show writ large and this episode in particular was so much every single character we saw was being themselves to the max in the most embarrassing way possible and it, and it just pumps out you know really truly top tier tv content (laughs) 
Yeah, just like uh, Roman Roy was going for uh, this night of television in the ATN world. I don't know what to call this succession universe, (laughs) Um, just succession, I guess. Uh, But but it is funny because like Tom's also like, well, you sort of hated your dad or no, you you hated your dad and you sort of killed him. So like there are just knives flying in every direction. And one thing that I was really trying to parse was, you know, when he turns or like says, is that even true about the pregnancy and Shiv walks away, like the camera lingers on Tom. And, you know, I was like expecting like a lesser show would like have Matthew McFadyen, like kind of look around, like despondent for a second, but then maybe have like a hint of a smile, like, oh my God, I'm going to be a dad Mm -hmm. kind of thing. But like, no, it is just like, what? Like, I don't, I don't even think he's like processed it by the end of this episode, really. Um, and by the end of the episode, he also has to process the fact that his face is being shown on other news networks as the reason that Mencken is president. Um, so it just like, this is just like an avalanche of shit on hot Tom. And I don't even know if even in the next episode, we're going to get really full closure on this. I can see that playing out for two more episodes and into the finale of the series, to be honest. Yeah. I just think there's something so interesting about like how it, Forgive me the kind of triteness of this, but it but succession in this season after um, Logan's death feels kind of like Eastern Europe post fall of the Soviet Union, and that like every other day there seems to be a top dog, um, and and then every other day that top dog falls in embarrassing new ways, like face first into the shit. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And 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 not technically Eastern Europe, but there's going to be some weird shit going on in the Balkans pretty soon. And and I, in this, I just have to assume that Roman is the Balkans because I feel like he's kind of gearing up for, uh, to put it lightly, his like Jeremy moment. Um, but but there but like Tom in particular is so interesting because because he's constantly uh, like oscillating between between being in the in group and being so far out of the in group he can't even. Um, like imagine what it looks like to be on the inside of it and and i think there's also kind of this thing happening where like um he is as the kingmaker of the u.s he has i think now become vastly more powerful in some ways than than kendall or roman and certainly shiv and and certainly connor who's just a walking embarrassment (laughs) um and, and there's something kind of there in that like you know Tom's always kind of worked a job. It may not have really been an actual job, but he's always kind of held down a job that has like, at least in some sense, a verifiable job description. And the rest of these losers haven't. And and when push comes to shove, when when they either, you know, when the world either needs someone to pin everything on or um, to herald as the new champion of the right, um, Tom, by virtue of having an actual job, ends up being the, the top dog. Um, and, and that ends up kind of imbuing him with vastly more power than than anyone else. Um, and though Tom, of course, still doesn't actually know how to to use that power in any like actual way, it is just interesting to see how this show is sort of in bits and pieces really punishing the kind of idle wealth and and not really well, kind of, kind of rewarding the the quote unquote working man uh, as far as you can stretch that to encompass Tom Williams Gans. Um, but there is a you know the closer you are to reality, um, the less kind of fucked up and almost Shakespearean you are going to be um, vis a vis this mm. kind of cast of characters. Yeah. No. Um, God, it, Tom is just so fucking interesting in this uh, episode because, like. 
I mean, he's clearly like just like a right wing guy. I don't need to get into diving into everyone's ideology <laughs> as a character, but like the extent to which he's like talking about the fire bombing in Milwaukee is like, oh, it's probably just like an electrical fire. We don't need to cover it. We have our audience that we have to feed this right information to. Uh, in a way, he's like kind of the best person at his job. Like he knows all the equivocations and like how to split the need or like thread the needle on everything, but like thread the needle in a fascist way. Mm -hmm. um, that's what he's trying to do. And he's just like, so on top of it. But in terms of like wielding power, um, one of the things we see in this episode is he like him and Greg kind of return to their original power dynamics. of sorts. <laughs> yes. Like he's like, I need Greg to do the gregging for me. I can't have some other guy bringing me store-bought sushi. Like, and I think that is something is like now that power is somewhat accumulating around him those kind of things are kind of happening again, where now Greg is once again, kind of his like dude, his toady or whatever, um, to the point where, uh, you know, he's taking like bumps of cocaine behind a whiteboard. So no one sees in a closed door, which also, this is not important, but this drove me nuts. Uh, last week, Tom was so mad at Greg when he suggested having coffee at night because he's like, you do want me to ruin my sleep, Greg? And then like, <laughs> He's like, where's my coffee? As it's like 11 p.m. on the East Coast in this episode. And then he starts doing bumps of cocaine. I guess you, you'll be more willing to stay up late for election night rather than the night before. But still, Tom, your whole thing about coffee last episode, a complete lie. Well, it's such like a... It, it, is, it is in these things that I see so much of myself in Tom. And that like, I'm a massive crybaby about staying up late. If, it, if I make it to like 1030 and I'm not in bed, I'm just going to be a grumpy fuck about it. Um, and this, it doesn't matter if that's like a weekday or a weekend. Like I, I have my solid, I wake up at like eight or seven thirty-eight. I am in bed by like nine 30. This is how I live my life. I will not change. Um, but there are moments in which like I will allow the later nights and do the stupid shit. And it's usually for work. Like I, I will have not happily, but I will stay up and force myself up and, and, and do whatever ridiculous things, rituals, um, drug taking I need to do not cocaine, um, in case my employers are listening to this um <laughs> but i'll do that um but i will also throw a shit fit if anybody asks me to stay up late for like going out to the pub or whatever because i won't do it anymore and there's something so like human about tom and how and i think it just sheds light on the like inhumanity of the rest of this lot that they are just pulling these insane hours i should point out like not actually doing anything of worth but like pulling these insane hours and and tom is very clearly picking and choosing his kind of battles it's just that i think he keeps picking the wrong ones every single time and imagine how much like better things would have been for him if he had just gone to bed on election night and just like not worked that job um but instead he decided to go to bed on the night when it would have caused a fight with his ex-ish wife um and stay up on the day that it makes him the fucking fall guy for uh trump but worse apparently <laughs> <laughs> yeah so there, there was something you said a couple minutes ago that i want to kind of start talking about the siblings uh here or at least the three main siblings uh sorry con <laughs> alas kentucky but uh you are kind of on the outside here uh, you said that like all three of the other kids are basically like the most themselves they have been in this episode. And like, I really feel that like Shiv is like her, like peak girl boss, like liberal kind of corporate person. Crying who, over like, the believes in America. <laughs> yeah. Good for democracy and great for us. It like really exposes like the vapidity of like, essentially liberalism to me, like the people who yearn about like what's good for the Republic and good for democracy. Meanwhile, she's still like, 
texting Matson like, so I'll have a good deal out of this when I go to Gojo or like how she'll just like completely lie to Ken. And I think that's a big turn in the end of this episode because Ken, you know, Ken, you know, sucks in his own ways, but he's like trying to be honest with her. He's like, you know, I actually kind of envisioned running this company by myself, you know, people oh, and have been he's following so therapy my... man too. You can hear the therapist in it. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And uh when uh and when uh he's like trying to open up to Shiv and he's like, you know, can I can I be honest with you? And Shiv gives the most like indifferent, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, before she goes on and lies that she'll talk to Nate. Um, a completely terrible lie because all it takes is one phone call for Ken to realize, oh, she's just full of shit. And this is coming at, like so she says she'll talk to Nate, and then he's like, You're a good fi- good guy, you're a good father. You know, stuff that like Kendall was like crying about at the end of last season when he like reveals that he killed the kid and stuff. Like he's like, I'm not a good person, I'm a bad person, that kind of stuff. So to have like her like say all that stuff, like, oh, you're such a good guy still. We know you're a good guy deep down. <laughs> and then she just completely lies because she's trying to like backdoor stuff with Matson. Uh, I think that's like Kendall is already kind of jokerified in his own Kendall Roy way anyways, but like the fact that he's able to get even more jokerified and that you can see Jeremy Strong play that across his face as Shiv is watching through the glass windows, like it was perfect. Like I am not happy with the out. I am not happy with the fate of the Republic in the show, but Ken doing it just to say, fuck you, Shiv, like I kind of get it. It's just, it's also remarkable because I think there's like, you know, so much about Shiv in this season has been about like Shiv is a woman, Shiv cannot escape being a woman. And like when Kendall needs to vent about being a piece of shit parent and just generally a cunt, like he doesn't go to Roman. Um, he doesn't go to Connor, who I think Connor of all of the siblings probably would have actually been genuinely receptive to it. He goes to Shiv and it's definitely because he's just like, ah, Shiv is basically mommy junior. Um, and Shiv in her quest <laughs> to never, ever have to be a woman except for when it's convenient to her. And like Fairfox star in this, this instant refuses to respond in a meaningful way that like, I think I feel like, no, I don't, I don't think or feel like I know that like women are conditioned to respond, which is like, uh, you know, a, a sort of a sense of genuine, authentic emotion, some sort of like, uh, like psychological concession to make sure that the man in the room feels better about what he's doing and, and, and how he's behaving and to assure him that like, he is actually a good father, despite all of the evidence to the contrary. And, and she only kind of makes a vague gesture at it, but like her heart's not really in it because her heart is on doing the other things. And, and I think Kendall's reaction is as much about like, the the kind of personal slight of what the fuck and the as as much as the kind of gendered slight of i expected you to perform this role for me and you haven't done it and and now you will pay and and i think there's just something so funny about how like shiv is interested in wielding certain parts of her femininity usually the sex parts um but not really interested in doing the rest of it and and there's something so like i think uniquely of our time about that which is like there is a certain willingness to adhere to patriarchal norms in some ways um under the guise of oh well i'm just a woman and you know you know it's not like shiv has ever said this but you know you use your feminine wiles or whatever and and you use it against men and that's a good thing and that's that's how you girl boss but like there are other sort of elements of the the patriarchal patriarchal construction of womanhood i.e caring being kind and gentle yada 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 Mm -hmm. all that other bullshit but like lots of people won't do and and they won't consider that as like using their feminine wiles or whatever and and i think it's just always interesting that shiv picks the things that don't work is because i'm trying to remember is it this episode where it's just the the 
It is. Oh my God. She can't stop taking racket up L's when she's like to Greg, do you want to fuck me? And I think my heart stopped because like, it's such a total misreading of what is going on around her and like how the Mm -hmm, people around mm -hmm. her think, but she's like, Oh, she's so cutely aware of being a woman, but she's not actually aware of how she specifically is a woman. And so she's like, I'll turn on the sex thing because that's what a woman would do in this situation. But it's like, right. But, but you shouldn't like you specifically shouldn't not least because he's your cousin and that's weird, but also because like you've totally misread the relationship of Greg to Tom and both of them to you. And, and you do not factor into this as, as an object of sexual desire, certainly from, from Greg's point of view, but she's just so jumbled about her like womanhood that she doesn't actually fully understand what the fuck's going on there. And so she's just racking up those L's. Yeah, I know we talk a lot on our podcast about how Shiv just has no juice for this game. And I feel like that was best (sighs) exemplified in that conversation with Greg, which is honestly one of the least important parts of this episode. But it just like in 45 seconds, it's just like she she can't even play Greg. Like she tries to intimidate him, like pulling his like intestines out of his asshole or whatever she says. Um, And that whole like, do you want to fuck me, Greg? Because you're you know, you're trying to fuck me here. Uh, and then Greg's like, you know, I I can be amenable. You know, all you have to do is like promise me something or something like that. And then she just keeps threatening him as opposed to being like, oh, I can win Greg over by saying, hey, if things fall through and it's Matson's home, then we'll make sure you, you know, you come through, you know, the other end and are sitting pretty and doing well and all that. Like there was a chance there for her to actually you know, get Greg to at least be kind of on her side or at least amenable to something like that. Um, And she doesn't. And then, of course, when Ken calls Nate at the end of the episode, like behind the glass wall, he, you know, kind of uh, talks to Greg right after the call before going in and unleashing on Shib. So, like, that is a huge missed opportunity for her. And that shows that she's just not as clever as she thinks it is. Like, this is her on tilt for me, like, to use a poker term. This is her, like having lost big and just keep trying to play like her hand as strong as possible, hoping that somehow she'll get lucky and win. And it turns out that not only did she lose, but she kind of fucked the country in the process too. Yeah. Well, she's got um, no leverage because she's got no power. She's got no mm-hmm, leverage mm-hmm. whatsoever. And I think it's interesting because the last time someone threatened to disembowel Greg, it was Carrie. And that was literally he's 15 seconds before a disaster with her because like the minute she says that, Logan basically dies and then Carrie's got no power and so can't follow through on that. And there's something like, I guess it's just like, if you come at King Greg, you best not miss. But like all of these people who threaten Greg basically just end up dead, like either politically dead or literally dead or whatever. Um, And Shiv going for it on that is such a sign of like, she could have just paid him off. Like, I think Greg is kind of weak and pathetic enough that he would have just taken the cold hard cash. But she is so devoid of power or leverage or strategic thinking skills that she can't respond to it in 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 just she can't fucking survive. She can't do it. She can't live in the in the world that she wants to live in. And it's so like frustrating, I think, because I don't think, for example, I think her like counterpart in patheticness roman is necessarily better at this like i don't think he would have if he were in that situation i don't think he would have conducted himself better and i don't think he would have had a better outcome but roman at least doesn't put himself in these situations and and that's where the two of them differ and shiv has not learned 
to stop putting herself in these situations. Like Roman, who is basically just disconnected from it all at this point and now just like doing Charlottesville Tiki Torch bullshit. Um, Shiv keeps like trying to kick that fucking football and not understanding why Lucy keeps pulling it away. And and there's just it's so remarkable to watch like in real time. I think we are every single swing Shiv took there, she missed. And it's it's nice to kind of see that vindicated so quickly, that instant gratification on Shiv's a fucking idiot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and let's, let's talk about uh, Roman now, because <laughs> I think, like, th- it's hard to say who's, like, the main character of this episode, but I think it's, like, bouncing between Roman and Shiv and maybe even Tom a little bit. Um, but, like, oh, man. I, one thing I just flagged, and I'm sure this is, like, level 101 analysis that people were saying back in season one episode one i wasn't watching this show when it first started but it's basically like how many times they talk about the world is burning and they end with rome referring to you know roman roy (laughs) but how easily these sentences would just apply to the entire the whole entire apparatus (laughs) burning down whether you you take that to mean atn and waste our royco or you just mean america um you know because you know kendall says america is a kind of nice idea right (laughs) a lot of different people coming together but i just noted how many times they talk like it's burning roman um because they're referring to the milwaukee firebombing of the absentee voters but like really watching it with subtitles you realize how often burning and fire are paired with roman in a sentence like they call him out in those sentences and it just really struck me because we talked about this in during the like calypso not the calypso episode but like um the one where he fires Jerry, but before that he fires Joy. Yeah. And he's like, Mankin's IP, just like Calypsotron. Like he has, he's like so indifferent. Everything is the same. He is that drill tweet. There is no difference between good and bad things, <laughs> said the wise man kind of thing. Because he he doesn't care about anything. He just wants to win. Um, and or and he wants to win in the context of a win condition that him and Kendall are playing for. Um and that's all he cares about. Um, like he does not care how Milwaukee has historically voted in absentee ballots or any bullshit. Um, he even has a uh, poor old Adam Godley, like <laughs> buying into his bullshit by the end. Um, or at least willing to like do it. If you know, uh, what's the guy's name? Darwin. Darwin gets to be on TV. He's like, this is wrong. This is bullshit this is whatever but if you call it pending and let me talk about it on tv then just maybe i can get on board with this because then you know the guy who sits behind the desk crunching numbers actually gets his face out there and has you know something that could boost his status or his standing or whatever so man roman just absolute shitheaded it's like people talk about him being the sympathetic one and i don't really care who's sympathetic and who's not Mm -hmm. i just care that he's like a fascinating fascinating fucking character and I think this is like him like showing like all the little bits of acumen we had seen that he had during the previous seasons, like really come to a fold. But I think I think he's going to like burn out really badly in the next episode, probably during his eulogy for his dad. Uh, But that said, this show always finds a way to do things I don't expect. So maybe not. Yeah. So I so I feel like the the discussion around Roman, I feel like is kind of intimately linked to the dis like uh, this sounds again this sounds ironic but like but like intimately linked to the kind of discussion around this whole episode to me like the episode in general because i think so everyone's loved this episode i also really liked it i really enjoyed it i thought it was once again a masterclass in and television writing every part of it was spectacular i didn't vibe with it as much as i've liked a lot of the other episodes and and i was trying to think about this today like why it was that it just didn't hit as hard for me it didn't have the like 
gasping for air factor at the end of it that the that the preceding episodes have had. And, and I think for me, it is the undercurrent of the political undercurrent of this episode, the political subtext of of the election um, seemed a little less like internecine family drama to me and a little more like a prologue episode for uh like a dystopian tv series or a zombie show or whatever and like my thing about post-apocalyptic stories is by and large i don't really care how the world ended um i don't really need like a meditation on these are the things the exact steps that people took to cause the world to fuck up i when i like watch a disaster movie um, I just want to see the disasters unfolding. I just want to see the post-apocalyptic waste. I don't want to know how we got there because it never really impresses me. I think like the most recent iteration of this was The Last of Us, which was a, a show that I basically thought was shambolic from start to finish. But like the the kind of behind the scene, not the behind the scenes, but the the like lore, I guess, for that, the explanation for the cause of the zombie apocalypse was like, unbelievably boring to me and i just like that episode mm -hmm. where they like went in and spent a whole bunch of time on it i i was like who needs this it's it's dull i it's not only is it dull it's like the kind of ridiculous settlers view of like how uh, an apocalypse would happen and and just not really grounded in reality and and this episode despite being i think a, a craft a marvel in in so in so many ways had that kind of energy to me like it felt like you could have taken any of these bits and pieces out and and intercut them with like roman on the run with an mk something and trying to like <laughs> survive the zombies or trying to survive the like roving gangs of bandits that are out to kill everyone now that the world has come to an end and it would like it wouldn't have felt out of place and i'm realizing as well like as i've been kind of doing making the mistake of trawling the discourse online which which i should i suggest nobody does it's a terrible place out there um but I, i'm starting to realize that lots of people didn't parse that episode like quite so like not pessimistically i think everybody got the clearly understood the message that shit's fucked but like i don't think they like I think people were generally looking at this as like things are really bad, but there may be like a an end to this that kind of ends at this like the weird middle point that we are at in, in the world, like in the real world right now, where it's like we're not quite at the apocalypse. We're also not not at the apocalypse, but everything is just kind of a bit middling and 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 almost dull in a way. The the like terror, the screams of terror have just kind of blended back into the background noise and nobody's quite feeling like they need to be prepping to to survive. And that's the kind of the discourse seems to be like intimating that that's where this show is going to end. Um so there's every chance that I've misread it, but but the the kind of zombie prologue vibes of this episode were just like absolutely unbelievable to me and and roman in particular just really acting the part of like u.s president not understanding that like handing the keys to the aliens is going to be a bad thing or, or whatever disaster movie premise you want to put in there <laughs> so you don't care how apocalypse is happening uh <laughs> calamity ganon is in shambles right now um <laughs> uh, no, I think there's something to it. Uh, a lot of people compared this episode to the newsroom, which oh. I'm actually down for as long as you add but good to the end <laughs> of that description. Um, but uh, there's there's something here because I saw some people complaining like, uh, this isn't how elections actually go. Um, like, you know, this isn't how it happens. And 
to me, I don't think that's the point. I don't think they're going for versimilitude, whatever that yes. word is. You know the word I I'm trying to say. I could not pronounce it either. <laughs> um, uh, but what they, what they are kind of going for is like they've identified like key forces that kind of matter in electoral politics, whether it's, you know, corporate media, whether it's fascist assholes, you know, lean in liberal feminism, uh, you know, store bought sushi, all of that. And just like major <laughs> players in our political realm. Um, and they basically crafted a stage play around that, which is not meant to be like, oh, this is how 2016 or the 2000 election went down. But this is an like a stage play based on those forces at work, which is kind of the part I liked um, in the way that it could be both fantastical in a way, but still like speak to the truth that it wants to speak to, which is why I think I'm a little bit higher on this episode, because there is a way to make this just be like election night 2016 blow by blow almost. Um, but that's not what they were doing. And that's not the story, because obviously Romans essentially being a kingmaker in this episode. Um, and, you know, I think I don't know. I just think it really worked for me. It kind of builds off like what they said uh, last week, um, where I think they were at the party and Roman's like, okay, I'll deal with the Nazis. You deal with the libtards. And that's basically what this episode is. Roman's working with Mencken while Ken is talking to, uh, not Gil, uh, Nate and uh, Daniel Jimenez, which is the most like, I mean, granted, he's on screen for like 40 seconds <laughs> in this episode, but Jimenez is the most Empty suit, nothing, bland, Democratic candidate. No wonder the fascist beat him. Uh, it's like, I, I, I love, like, I, I didn't need you to, like, introduce me to Jimenez or, like, spend, like, an hour with him or have, like, Nate or Kendall or someone have, like, a long scene with him. But I immediately got his vibe. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this kind of candidate would totally lose to, like, someone like Mencken. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and there's, I, I think there's, like, a kind of... Did there's a deafness to the way that like the political spectrum is portrayed that I find quite interesting. I've never liked any time the Gill, the Bernie Sanders stand in every time he shows up, mm -hmm. I feel like that's never quite an accurate portrayal of mm -hmm. like, I think the coarseness they get right. Like the kind of the willing to say the word fuck uh, behind the scenes, but probably going to not say it in front of a mic. I think that's like definitely true to Bernie Sanders, but like it, it never felt like they quite nailed him in, in the way that I kind of would have hoped for them to do. But I feel like every other element of, of the kind of American political spectrum, they, they really, they nail in a way that shows like the newsroom or shows like the West Wing or House of Cards or any of these other political dramas have never fully been able to 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 nail in quite the same way. And I think it's because succession is coming at it from what I would argue is probably the right angle, which is it's coming at it from the money. Um, it's coming at it from the people for for whom the 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 politicians and politicos are just pathetic little pawns. Um, and, and that I think is the right way to understand, um, the U S which is effectively a shell corporation with some really good merchandising. Um, and, and that's why I think succession has like so far when it's done, the politics has, has been fairly successful about it. Um, but there, but, but to see, I think the fact that, you know, Roman is the only one who I think is appropriately cynical and has been appropriately cynical about politics, about U.S. politics so far. But to see him kind of do this thing of like fascism is basically where the wind's blowing right now. That's where the money is. I'm going to go with it. Um, and and he's he's also like he's not really fully committing to that either, which is, I think, also a really interesting thing. Um, that is, I think, the most incisive take that this show has had so far, which is 
because, because I think it's true. I think that is basically where, um, rich Americans went, um, the American bourgeoisie in, in 2016 and then again in 2020 and probably again in 2024 went, Sorry about the fascism, but my taxes kind of hurt me right now. Um, and and that was that was entirely their approach. And it wasn't necessarily an overt and committed, like a vocally ideologically committed pivot to fascism. It's just that the fascism was convenient because fascism tends to work very well at getting certain parts of of um, a capitalist uh, class system what they want. Um, and, and to see it kind of portrayed like that and not have, you know, Roman will occasionally make these cracks about being like, uh, you know, about libtards or feminazis or whatever the fuck. But like, you can tell his heart's not really in it. He's not going to be one of these guys who's going to be, you know, sitting in front of a camera delivering speeches from a Romanian prison cell or whatever about how like women are all the devil. He, he's like kind of there, but he's mostly there because it's convenient and, and he can kind of just sign up for everything else after that because someone will feed it to him and he doesn't really have to think about it. And that I thought was so good. And it, it was such like a, it was such a good kind of coming home almost for Roman in so many ways. Um, in absence of Logan, this incredibly domineering figure in, in his life, Roman's pivot to fascism seems almost inevitable. Um, but it's, but as with his father, his relationship with his father is this kind of half-hearted pivot to fascism that is really only about surviving until the next thing comes. Yeah. Even the way he talks about Mencken, he's like, oh, Mencken's just a guy. He's just a guy. He repeats that phrase like all the time, even when Lib, uh, Lib, uh, Shiv is like, <laughs> crying about um, like American democracy and stuff. He's just like, he's solid. He's a real guy. He's not wishy-washy. Like he's almost like agnostic to the politics of this guy. He's like, but this is my horse. And what happens when they call it for Mencken? Mencken calls Rome and says, thank you. Like if the president calls and says, thank you, um, like that's shit that I expect Logan would have accomplished, you know? Yeah. Like, I can't imagine any president or presidential candidate calling Shiv or Kendall and saying, thank you for getting me elected president. And I think that's why a lot of people had Roman pegged as the most likely successor for Logan, because he kind of has he has some of that instinct, even if he has like just shitty, shitty ideology or lack thereof, which opens him up to having shitty ideology de facto like. He's also like immediately on top of like Shiv's horseshit about calling Nate. Like as soon as she walks into the room and is like, yeah, there's something there. I'm sure that they can get, you know, on the same page with us. And Rome's just like, no, you're full of shit. Like he knows instantly that she did not talk to him. It's like, cause she, she's not even able to lie convincingly enough that like they had a real chat. Um, it's like, oh yeah, I think we can get there. I was encouraged, you know, stuff like that. She's like not able to recreate anything. Like he has a good feel for it. It just sucks that he's kind of let himself be so detached from everything ever. So it's kind of like nothing matters. Like it's just all chaos and he can climb in that not to go all little finger on this, <laughs> but it's just like, it, he is both kind of indifferent to everything, but he's not really, but his indifference allows him to just like be the shithead that he is. If that makes yeah. sense. Cause I think there's like Kendall has this problem where Kendall feels guilt, but he's worked quite hard to sublimate his guilt. Um, and and mm -hmm. Kendall's weakest moments are the moments in which the guilt that he has pushed down very, very far um, come out. Um, Shiv has also more or less done the same thing, although she's a bit more like she would never call it guilt. She would never really articulate it as guilt. But her whole like, 
I love the Republic. I, and again, my allegiance is to the Republic, to democracy. <laughs> like that whole shit, her whole like liberal kind of, I'm a liberal politico bullshit. Like that's all what that is, is like her trying to deal with the guilt that she feels over being in, in the family that she is and living in the circumstances that she does. And she'd never call it guilt, but, but that's totally what it is. Um, and so hers is barely sublimated. And so it just comes out and it just is embarrassing. I genuinely don't believe that Roman has a sense of guilt about anything. I mm-hmm. don't think he has a conscience, except for when it comes to his interpersonal relationships with his family. Um, someone, I can't remember who it was, has been pointing out quite frequently on Twitter that like Roman's checking in on Carrie at the wake or the will reading or whatever it was, was actually probably quite a genuine thing. And I think that's true. I think I think Roman routinely has more genuine displays of open emotion than the rest of his siblings do. Like Shiv is terminally incapable of it. Kendall can only do it after he's tried to kill himself. I think Roman is is a bit more emotionally open at times. Um, but I don't think that is motivated from a sense of guilt in in any real sense or a sense of a conscience necessarily. I think that's just kind of something um or maybe it is a conscience, but it's just something I think he's 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 always desperate for that kind of human connection. And so we'll kind of ape these things um, and manages to do so in a slightly more genuine way. But I don't think he operates from having any concern about his actions or feeling guilt for them or, you know, I, I, the elephant in the room um, for me in this episode still is his cherry um, and what the the outcome of. Roman firing the lawyer, the woman CEO who is also a lawyer who he sent dick pics to. Like, what the fuck is going to happen there? And and that to me should be if if anything in his life would do it, that should be the source of like guilt in in Roman's life. And and I don't think he's really showing or feeling any of it there. And so I think like the rest of his kind of political turn has to be understood in the context of, I don't think he's capable of feeling guilt. And so he's just going to keep going until someone like guns him down or he loses all of his money because he's just so disconnected from like the kind of psychological component of being a human being living on this planet. Yeah, no, I think that tracks and we'll get to the uh, Kendall Roy, who's, you know, 70% water and 30% guilt in terms of biological makeup. But uh, I, since you mentioned Jerry, I do want to just highlight that this was an episode that was very short on the vassals. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got like, we got uh, Hugo yelling at Jimenez to like bust a nut on television when he's talking about the Milwaukee firebombing. And then we just get like one other line. I, I think it was Frank, might've been Carl, but they just say Connor was running for president <laughs> just as a joke. And someone's like, come on now. But like, as a, that was a good one, but let's be serious. These people pay our bills. Uh, um, I, you know, it is very interesting because Jerry has not really prominently featured in this episode. And it kind of felt like she was like one of those like plot time bombs waiting to go off, especially with the dick pic stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll be really interesting to see how she uh, plays in the last two episodes. Uh, but I do want to talk about Kendall because, again, <laughs> returning to what you said at the top of this episode, where the sh- uh, the Roy kids all feel like they're the most themselves they ever are in this episode. Kendall Roy, to me, is just like sad face staring off into nothing. <laughs> um, and he's always a little bit indecisive and little sweaty going through things. Like his call to Jimenez is like so sweaty. Like he's like clearly <laughs> like we got the early numbers. It looks like you're going to win. Uh, just saying hi, but uh, may the best man win. And like, you know, tech is bad. And, you know, God bless America, like bullshit like that. Like it's sweaty. It's painfully cringe. Um, and then all through the episode, he's just like, kind of in between Shiv and Rome, like, uh, like unwilling to like 
actually like decide on anything or like hold out. Let's like talk about this. Let's revisit the Wisconsin decision, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then when he finally ends up making a decision, it's purely personally motivated because of what Shiv did to him. And then he finally makes a decision to like green light the fascists. <laughs> so like this whole episode is him being like indecisive, indecisive, guilty, guilty. Oh, I'm sorry. I have someone following my kids, but it's for their own good. Uh, th- you know, Jimenez is winning. This will be good for America. Oh, fuck you, Shiv. We're going full fash now. Um, it's like he can't make a decision. And then when he finally, finally does, it's always the wrong one. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think that's just like the perfect summation of Kendall um, in this episode. Yeah. And, and I think like Kendall for me in this season has really felt like a non-entity. Um, he's kind of he may feel like he is um, not in a stable position, but I think in the end he is going to be the one that comes out on top purely through like, I think, lethargy and and um uh, inertia almost from from everyone else. Um, he he will end up there because uh, Connor accepted he is the eldest son. He was the one that was named besides Greg um, on 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 the piece of paper in in Logan's study. He he was the heir presumptive despite some fuck ups. I think he will just kind of cruise into that kind of like King Charles just did Prince Charles King Charles <laughs> just did. To be honest, I think that's actually probably one of the more. Um, illuminating um comparisons for for kendall in the end um but in this episode i think his kind of the the ways in which he was swayed by personal considerations over anything else um it it just shows he's still kind of weak um i don't mean to say that i don't think logan wouldn't have reacted in in maybe quite the same way but but Kendall is still so deeply insecure and so deeply insecure in his position that even though he does, as far as I'm concerned, effectively have that position, um, he's still not fully prepared to to deal with it and to deal with what that actually means. And so I think he's kind of like, if anyone around him were competent, he would be kind of ripe soil for, for tilling in terms of like a coup. Um, but no one around him is competent. So he's just going to kind of cruise through it and, and, and seeing him in these high points, these moments of high intensity, high tension, and just watching his kind of utterly bland reaction to all of it is I think kind of more than anything else, um, insight into where he is probably going to be at the end of this show. No, I think that's true. Kendall to me always feels like, He's a husk of a person yeah. as opposed to an actual person. Whereas I feel like Shiv actually has a robust interiority. It's just everything she believes in sucks <laughs> and is bad. Whereas Kendall just like, he, he he's filled up with other people's ideas and thoughts that have kind of like molded into being his own. And I guess you can say that about most people, but like he definitely feels like he's a shell of a man um, kind of going through motions at times. Yep, yep, yep. yep. And, and I think there's also something kind of fun about it because... Um, you know, the Shiv and and Roman are, I think, just kind of playing their greatest hits to their own detriment in, in many ways. But like Connor, I think, is more vibrant than he has ever been and, and more he's got more personality than I think he ever has. And and that moment when, you know, they're watching, what is it, Kentucky get called and it's not, that's the one state he has a chance in and, and it doesn't go in his favor, obviously. And he just turns the TV off Um it's, you know, it's a petulant response, whatever, whatever, but it's also so aggressively human. And I think there is mm-hmm. a, we see less and less of Connor with each passing episode, but what we do see of him, I think, 
retains a certain vitality and a certain kind of uniqueness that that none of his siblings have going and and the comparison of Kendall versus Connor as the two sort of competing not truly competing but the two potential elder sons um it, it, it is a really exciting one in in some ways because Connor represents what Kendall could have been I think if Kendall had just chilled the fuck out at any point in his entire life yeah, uh, Connor is really funny in this episode because he has a whole set of rhymes like ready is like you can do a coup in Peru or I can be the fun guy in Uruguay and all this stuff. Um, and even like uh, Willow, who in the previous episode is like, oh, no one really likes Mencken. My family hates him. I'm not sure about this. But she's like, but I could have dinner in Prague or breakfast in wherever. Um, and then like she's like, OK, I can I can get on board with this. But then what really cracked me up is Connor's like concession speech, uh, concession speech, huh? Um, where uh, what's it called? He's basically like, you know, America, be afraid. The con heads are coming. And it's just like, what the hell is this tonally <laughs> like in universe? Like he's like not trying to build up America or like, you know, the Republic in any way. He's just like, we're coming for you sooner or later. Um, it'd be great if the last episode is just like 10 years in the future with Khan winning presidency and like <laughs> all his half siblings are like dead or something. I don't know. Um, but, but it was just really funny. Like he gets up at the mic and then just gives the most weird speech. Um, even, even weirder than the other speeches we heard on this episode. Um, but I don't know. Uh, I'll always love Khan. Um, he he deserves a somewhat better family than he's getting, um, but at least he's got Willen, who's by far the best character in this show. So yeah, yeah. I, I, there's uh. something so funny because like Connor, I guess, is kind of a Gary Johnson type analogy. I don't even know is mm-hmm. Gary Johnson relevant anymore. I haven't been in the US in so fucking long. I can't remember. I think he tried to run in 2016. I'm not sure. I feel like 2012 is the last time I really oh, heard about him. God, um, that's just sprouted a gray hair there. Um, he's whoever the weirdo libertarian du jour is. Um, but he's got so much more personality than that. And there's so much more character to, to, to what he's doing. And I think it's also kind of funny because his grift, his, we're going to be the ones that will do the uprising and we will be the ones who, you know, I may have lost, but we will rise again is was action it was an actual strategy an actual actionable strategy that one of the contenders in the race was going for and that was Mencken and Mencken got that strategy stolen from underneath him by having won the fucking election um and by contrast <laughs> Connor had it stolen from underneath him by Mencken having won the election and and I think it's so funny that no matter where Connor goes or what he does he's always second rate no matter what he tries he's always second best and and there's something kind of fun about that like Sisyphean mid mediocrity that is is uh, just perpetually entertaining mm-hmm. the last thing I really want to say that I really kind of find funny about the whole like political backdrop of this episode was how like uh when uh the three main siblings like go onto the atn floor and greg is trying to wrangle them away (laughs) and tom's like they can't be here like they're trying to create this like aura of like i don't know segregation of like duties or something or like the family's not actively involved in our election coverage (laughs) which is just like such horseshit like i i'm so glad they included this part into the episode just because like whatever like you know, fake performance we have of objectivity or lack of biases or recusing oneself if, you know, they have personally involved in it. 
Like, that's all for show. Like, even if they weren't down on the floor, Roman and Kendall and Shiv are basically pulling the strings. I also like that they were interacting with, like, Nate and his team. Mm -hmm. Like, showing kind of how, like, the discussion between these candidates does cross aisles more than we'd like to think. Or at least it's less ideologically driven and a little bit more power driven and wealth driven. Like you were saying, like, it all comes back to the material wealth that these characters all have or are playing upon. Um, So I just really like that. It, they have this whole like, oh, they can't be on the floor here. <laughs> but it's like, does it matter? Especially like when we have all the technology where everyone can be anywhere all the time anyways. Um, it just seemed really silly that they spent like a good five minutes trying to have Greg trying to shoo them off the floor, even though it really didn't matter one way or another. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and there's it's just also like Tom is is parroting the oh Logan wouldn't have wanted you to be on here thing because Tom isn't really thinking about it and is like, Logan did it, therefore it's good. Um, But the siblings should have been thinking about why it was that Logan didn't do that. And I think there is an actual sort of sense of like, there is a validity to some of the decisions that Logan made. Um, None of the siblings, bar occasionally Roman, seem to have any kind of sense of of their father having occasionally been a rational man. Um, But it is in moments like this where... I think you can pop, probably say that that Logan would not have um, handed the election over quite so brazenly as as did happen. Um, you know, there are so many of these moments that are just stacking up where like Logan was not ultra competent, but he was very competent um, and the kids are not at all competent. And and the people who are like at least stopping to think oh, Logan did this, so we may as well just do this by muscle memory, are probably going to end up slightly more successful than the ones who are like, oh, well, fuck, fuck it all, throw throw all of the rules out um, and, and don't really think about what we're doing. We're just going to do it my way now because dad's dead and I'm in charge. And it's just kind of interesting to, it's an interesting kind of commentary on like the nouveau riche. Um, and I think like in particular in light of everything going on with Elon Musk right now, who is like, in, in every imaginable way, breaking all of the rules of old wealth, which is put your head down and, and, and shut the fuck up. He's breaking all of the old money rules. And, and, and I'm willing to put this bold prediction out there that it's not actually going to end well for him. Um, and he will have, he will have sacrificed, uh, what could have just been a nice life of wealth beyond anybody's imaginings for, like a couple of the dumbest people online retweeting his stupid memes. And like that, I feel like is kind of the trajectory all of the siblings are on in their own individual ways. And and they're throwing out the, the kind of learn the conventional wisdom of the old wealth, which is protect that shit, keep that shit on lock and don't stick your head above the parapet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, expertly said. Um, I guess we should just mention Matson real quick before <laughs> we sign off uh, because he's basically here because he's been like, the European Nazi tweeting or Nazi meme tweeting guy so far. And then he even he's like, I can't work with this fucko uh, referring to President Mencken or President-elect Mencken, I guess. We can't really say for sure how this is going to play out, although it seems very likely he will be taking presidency um, when all is said and done. But like, it was a pretty effective use. I- I'm surprised how often they've used Skarsgård this season just to be on the phone with a character for all of like two minutes the entire episode. That is like getting one of the most famous like international movie stars in the world and like giving him a bit part. Um, but I, re- I, re- I really I really think they're deploying him well and not a lot letting him overshadow like what really is the core of the show. But when he needs to be a key part of it, like he's able to integrate so easily into it like that episode and 
Norway, whatever it was called. But um, we just get a taste of it here, and I'll be interested to see if he does show up at Logan's funeral. Yeah, because because it's so funny how like stacked the week is. You know, Shiv has that moment of when when um, she tells Tom that she's pregnant, and and Tom basically laughs in her face she's like my father just died and i'm pregnant and also it's election day and she's not really listing these things out like that but it is you know uh there are weeks when decades happen and decades when weeks happen and and these guys are in a in a week when a decade happens and and it's funny to have this also looming threat beyond the looming threat of the funeral beyond the looming threat of anything else this looming threat of matson and and how he's a guy who's fucking checked out he will not like hang out with these people he will not be around any of it he will not get his hands dirty in any real way except for the party but that was like mostly in a social setting um he's this looming threat who can't really be bothered with them and yet all of their actions and all of their behaviors are oriented around him and his potential or imagined responses um and in some ways um he's kind of playing this this he's stepping into the role of that the whole the space that Logan has left behind, although he is very ill-equipped for it. And and I think the kids aren't quite ready yet to reckon with what that power vacuum or what that kind of villain vacuum in their lives is actually going to mean for them. So speaking to our own villain vacuum, <laughs> we'd like to thank our five and ten dollar <laughs> patrons. Just as a reminder, at the $10 level, we will give you a Middle Earth name and read your name off at the end of every episode. And for our $5 patrons, we will read your Middle Earth names off on a rotating basis. So first, we'd like to thank Johnny Flores Jr., a.k.a. Lothamon of Palinque. And Ed the Revelator, also known as Silent Spider, Guardian of Carathungal. Aranwo Miniatar, a.k.a. Matthew Abbott. <laughs> like Wamelma, also known as Zach Newman. Eruanian Tyrannan, a.k.a. Matthias Henson. Nick Smith, a.k.a. Ronessa. And Panemel, a.k.a. Munjil. And for our $5 patrons, we would like to thank Lady B, a.k.a. Bronwyn. And Adonian O. Ered Harasir, a.k.a. Stacy. And that closes the book on this episode of My Brother, My Captain, My Podcast. Our email is my brother, my captain, my podcast at gmail.com and my bro, my cat, my pod on Twitter. You can support this podcast by subscribing to patreon.com slash my bro, my cat, my pod, where you'll get early access to episodes and all sorts of special bonus content. I've been Manu, also known as Nuclear Bomb. You can find me covering A Song of Ice and Fire over at Nauticast ASOIAF. And I've been Emily, also known as JR Tweeting, which is where you can find me on Twitter, where I will be adding extra lemon to the lemon LaCroix. <laughs> oh, we didn't even talk about the fucking wasabi <laughs> in the eyes. Um, Adam Godley is great. I only know him as bit parts and bigger stuff, but um, I really enjoyed seeing his face show up uh, in this episode. Toasting a pint to our sound editor, Stephen Boyd, a.k.a. Ithroglier and Drithion, a.k.a. DJ Empirical on Twitter. So please like and review our podcast wherever you may be listening. So until next time, me and Emily are going to be playing Tears of the Kingdom. <laughs> See ya!